Jimmy was cutting every link between himself and the robbery, but it had nothing to do with me. Henry Mancini called it playing against the scene. That disorienting combination of an image with a song that strikes a completely different mood. The song in this scene from Goodfellas is the lesser-known coda of the classic rock hit Layla. With its trundling, sweetly nostalgic piano and soaring slide guitar, it sounds like the theme of a bittersweet romance, yet here it is, accompanying a slow, dreamlike reveal of the corpses of much of the film's cast, oft in grisly fashion by Robert De Niro's paranoid mobster Jimmy Conway. Fine. Come on. Martin Scorsese claims that the sequence was inspired by a film from 1931, William A. Wellman's pre-code gangster tale, The Public Enemy, and the use of I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles during its final scene, in which the bullet-riddled body of the film's protagonist is delivered to his family's doorstep. The film's bleakly ironic juxtaposition of tragedy and cheer is something of an outlier for its era. Prior to the 1960s, ironic or dissonant song choices were rare, often only diegetic, like the child murderer of Fritz Lang's M whistling in the Hall of the Mountain King while abducting kids. Or Robert Mitchum's diabolical, gospel-singing reverend in The Night of the Hunter. soundtrack is, like the movement of the camera, the work of God. When it contrasts with what's on screen, the film's God seems unjust or even cruel. Akira Kurosawa was an early explorer of this idea, pairing dismal scenes with upbeat music in films like 1948's Drunken Angel. Kurosawa's father died in 1948, and while walking the streets of Tokyo to clear his mind, he was tormented by the sound of the song in this scene, the cuckoo waltz. The universe seemed to be mocking his grief. Over the next 20 years, experimental filmmakers like Kenneth Anger further exploited the subversive potential of combining upbeat music with dark and upsetting imagery. Happy, 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 happy. 
But it was Stanley Kubrick who was arguably most responsible for bringing the technique into mainstream filmmaking, starting with his ironic and cruelly jarring use of Vera Lynn's wartime love ballad, We'll Meet Again, during Dr. Strangelove's apocalyptic finale. I have a plan. Monsieur has been walked! Kubrick would continue to play with this kind of dissonance throughout his career, but perhaps most infamously in A Clockwork Orange. In the 1960s and 70s, the social, moral, and artistic scope of American filmmaking radically expanded, and in the following years, so too did audiences' capacities for irony and disorientation. Soundtrack dissonance would become an essential part of the career of many directors, like Scorsese in films like Mean Streets and Goodfellas. There's a mocking irony to someone being beaten to death to the tune of Donovan's Atlantis, but also something organic. Scorsese drew on music from the era, as well as pulling from his own record collection. I did my fucking time, Jimmy. I did my fucking time. I came home, and I want what I gotta get. I got fucking mouths to feed. Understand? Yeah. His films take place in a monstrously cruel world, but it is the same world as ours. As life and death are playing out in front of his characters, the world is still spinning on, and songs are still playing on the jukebox. In the K. Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s. In the films of Quentin Tarantino, the commonality of pop music implied by Scorsese becomes explicit, with criminals and killers bonding over their shared love of 70s pop. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling of something right. 
By the start of his career, cynicism had become an American pastime, and the jarring soundtrack choice was rapidly becoming a cliché. It had never been a particularly subtle cinematic tool, but now it was a cheap and predictable way of creating tension in horror movies or affecting cleverness in action films. Consider the almost perfunctory use of Somewhere Over the Rainbow during this shootout, observed by a child wearing headphones in John Woo's Face Off. A technique that originally averted cliché had become one itself. The visionary directors of the last 20 years have been more likely to use it in absurd, self-aware contexts, playing off of pop culture and audience expectation in amusing, complex new ways. Take the opening from Michael Haneke's gruesome media satire, Funny Games, and its use of a ludicrously chaotic song by noise band Naked City. Or Boogie Nights, a film in which Paul Thomas Anderson uses familiar, banal pop songs to both mock and underscore the hollowness, paranoia, and frenzy of the world the characters inhabit. Are you going to take your skates off? I don't take my skates off. pop singer by the name of Miss Britney Spears. One of the greatest singers of all time and an angel if there ever was one on this earth. Harmony Corinne's Spring Breakers features perhaps the most memorable example in recent years of violent slow motion crime spree set to Britney Spears's Every Time. Notice me Take my
The song is a perfect match for Spring Breaker's tale of teenage oblivion, a dark ballad by a troubled pop star, one that anyone in their 20s is just as likely to recognize and sing along to as the film's pink balaclava-clad protagonists. The twinkling music box melody clashes with the ugliness of the violence on screen, while also complementing the beauty Corinne's camera finds in it. It's both sincere and ironic, serious and silly, an active agent in the scene, questioning and recontextualizing what's on screen, the film itself, and the audience's relationship to it. The soundtrack was once a harmonious complement to film, an emotional guidewire for the audience to grasp onto. The last few decades have turned it into a living component, actively crossing the barriers between art and the real world, between viewer and screen. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast. This episode was scripted by Sean Doyle, produced by Violet Luca and Nicholas Rapold, and edited by Michael Odemark. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth reviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com slash subscribe to purchase a digital or print subscription to the magazine. Film Comment, at the heart of film culture for over 50 years. <laughs>